Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. is in the air and you know what that means for the X-Men crossover season. While the pages of X-Men led into what will probably be something kind of empire the pages of Cable led into so much, including what I think might be the crossing of X of Swordsing, the Swordsing of X. I don't know what we're supposed to call it yet, but I'm real excited. That of course makes this We Are Krakoa. I'm Nico. I'm Dylan. I'm Kyle. I'm Regina. And I'm Jonah. And we hope you survive the experience, similar to how adult Cable is alive. What? Oh my god, I'm so happy. I'm like, uh, I'm melting. Regina, are you melting? I I had to look at that page and make sure I was seeing what I was seeing. <laughs> I am dying. <laughs> I was afraid to make it my phone background because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited for everything going on in the X-Books. I hadn't expected Cable Number 1 to inadvertently set up what seems to be the crossover, and getting Jean Grey and Baby Brew on the same page just felt like more than I deserved. But before that, I think we've got some news coming up. The only news that actually came out this week was that New Mutants is being postponed again, this time due to the recent events of COVID-19. So we once again have to wait. Yeah, yeah, that's like, once again, it's just like this movie is never gonna, and like, they were like, there were no reshoots. Uh, I don't know. People said they were on set. So like, it's some people calling other people liars. I don't know what's happening. But yeah, this movie's never coming out, ever. Ever. I just, all I want is to see the new mutants and Dr. Cecilia Reyes. Why can't I have this nice movie? You should just be happy with the trailer that came out like the week before. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, yeah, we can kind of like super piece together like a movie out of the trailer. Okay, kind of. That's how I sort of felt about War Children, the recent Claremont Sienkiewicz New Mutants issue. There was a lot of splash pages, but there was a story there. Somewhere. And that's how I feel about this. We could kind of like piece together the trailers and, and sort of watch New Mutants. So, you know, Regina, you can write all of Danny's missing dialogue. <laughs> Joge, you can have magics. I would like to write Cecilia's if that's okay by everyone else. And guys, just have a free-for-all with the others, and we'll put together our own new mutants. Could we just have an entire episode be us, like, reading the dialogue of our own new mutants movie? <laughs> I'd love it. Yeah. No, I'm in. D-plus, listen. D-plus, friend of the pod, D-plus. We're going to be waiting by our phones. I won't be watching New Mutants because it's about the demon bear, and it's a story I haven't read yet, so I don't want to know and spoil myself on what happens. I was going to say, if you don't read this within, like, the next year or two before it comes out. And, yeah, you know, I was kind of, I've been making the same joke that New Mutants is supposed to be an adaptation of Sienkiewicz and Claremont's New Mutants, not Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men, because there's no other reason anything should be delayed this much. But it is at least giving people an opportunity to bond with the New Mutants culturally before the film comes out. It might seem like, oh my god, this movie took forever, but even if the movie takes forever to come out, it's still creating an audience for itself, and that's exciting. Hi, it's Herbert Maddox from House of X, House of Rust, House of Shade, and my favorite 
moment so far. It's been on Marauders. It's my favorite current X title. And I like the way they are handling all of this gate new life. All right, our first book we're going to cover this week is New Mutants number nine. The writer was Ed Brisson, the artist was Faviano, and the color artist was Carlos Lopez, and VCs Travis Landon was the letterer. And I just want to give a huge shout out to the art team on this book because the stuff in this issue was visceral and powerful and abstract. I thought the art here really was a step beyond what we're used to seeing, even in the Dawn of X era, which has been pushing boundaries for the writing and art of an X-Men title for sure. I also want to uh, say that I, I really enjoyed the art of this, especially how all the characters actually are presented closer to their actual age compared to the last couple of arcs that we've been reading. You know, that's one of the things that happens when you have such a rotating art team in this age of, you know, it's been nine issues since September and we're only in March. So it's sort of hard to believe they've gotten this much out already. And that does lead to rotating art teams. It also means that there's kind of something for everybody. I did also think that the sort of bubblegum magic of the last arc being replaced by the severity of this arc kind of did remind me that New Mutants is meant to be a rotating cast at this point. Well, I think that Ed Brisson really gets the voice of the characters way more than maybe the other writers that we've had before. They seem to be more authentic to who they currently are and have been for quite a while now. I really love some of the characterizations that he gave to the characters and they seemed exactly on point where they're supposed to be in their life after everything most of them have been through. There might have been just a couple of short hiccups, but I really liked the scene with Magic and Cyclops kind of... Oh my god, yes, 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 yes. oh my god. <laughs> Kind of having their discussion, and she's like not taking his crap. (laughs) And I think that lends credence to something we've all talked about. This is the rise of magic. Right. And she just kind of reminds him look, you're not going to push me around. You know, maybe I'm the captain, but that holier than thou thing you've got going, you know, you can take that and shove it. (laughs) But she was still respectful of him she was just making sure he understood look i've got shit under control don't come at me it's such an interesting comparison the two of them magic and cyclops in particular they both have known what it's like to wrestle with a demon iliana at all times possesses the sort of counter entity of her own self the dark child while cyclops quite literally was merged with apocalypse they've both been the dark phoenix and it's sort of like cyclops is so used to being able to be like you can't outpiss me i'm cyclops Cyclops. But magic is kind of like, uh, you understand that I went back in time and invented the Eldritch pissing match, right? (laughs) So this really is a meeting of the minds where they're both kind of confounded by the situation. I was going to say, I really like, maybe I'm just reading it in a different tone, but like you just said, magic and Cyclops have been through a lot of crap and a lot of it's very similar in slightly different ways, but When I read the part where she said, but I assure you one captain to another, there's no reason to worry. I feel like that was Magic's way of saying, hey, I know you've been on this team longer, but you and I are both in the same spot right now. So don't treat me like a child. And isn't that what we've been saying the new mutants are fighting for this whole time? A place as equals. Yeah. And maybe even for sometimes the writers to treat them as equals. 
to to add to that, I would feel like the the writers are trying to just like with magic also show that yeah, the new mutants have been around longer, but in one of the first pages of this were Jonah's favorite person, Tabitha, <laughs> is saying, seriously, you guys brought Mondo and Chamber, but not me. They're not even a part of the team. And Karma says they are now. I f- I know from Facebook groups that I run, there's some fans that are very upset that Generation X characters are in a New Mutants title. And they need everyone to realize that Generation X and the X Academy and everyone that came after are not kids anymore either but they are still going to be considered new mutants. So everybody calm down. (laughs) It's just nomenclature. I mean, if we're not up in arms about the term marauders and we're just sort of fluid with the term Excalibur anymore, there's nothing to be angry about. You know, it's just like they're the next generation. Would it be better if they were called the next mutants or former next mutants or the was new mutants? (laughs) If that would help. Can we make sure that we talk about Mondo being shirtless? Because that was nice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Mondo got our vote for like, you know, like thick daddy of the year earlier. And I feel like friend of the pod, New Mutants as a company, heard us and was like, all right, all right, let's get a little scrub. I mean, it was funny because at the beginning of the book, he had a shirt on and then he was shirtless. And then at the end of the book, he had a shirt on again. And I was like, oh, so when he's not like, when he's actually being social with people, he takes his shirt off. You know, if you got it, flaunt it. I also really liked Danny kind of questioning what they were going to be doing. Um, I don't necessarily agree with her position, but, you know, that's just who she is, is to to consider all of the all of the different things that are going to be happening and what the fallout can be. And then Boom Boom kind of calls her Mirage, which I was kind of like, wow, I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> um, I thought the art was really beautiful. And the kind of towards the end, we kind of see the MLF questioning them. Like, why are you guys here? And I was like, wait a minute. So are we... <sighs> So things of Krakoa are not as monolithic as maybe it seemed at first. Some of the mutants are are still kind of segregating themselves into little groups. I thought that was interesting to introduce into the story. Yeah, I was really excited to see the introduction of MILF Island. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my my god. I really liked how Boom Boom and Danny were both kind of sharing a leadership position in this story. Well, they share like the most ever code names of any X-Men ever. Yeah. (laughs) Tabby's been Boom Boom Boomer, Meltdown, Splody Pants, Tabby, Tabby Bang Bang, um, Shoot 'em Up Shooter. Yeah. And then, you know, Danny has had Mirage, Psych, uh, Illusions, Michael. She's had so many names that it's sort of funny the ways they are beautiful parallels of each other without being anything alike. The art in this book I I absolutely love. I actually a few times had to go back and check and see if there was multiple artists because it kind of felt like there was more of a cartoony but like good cartoony vibe whenever they showed Doug and Armor and Mondo. But it, it was the same artist throughout the book and I love that. I am going to mention that I am a very particular person when it comes to certain people's looks or what have you. And when it comes to Karma, at the beginning of the book, and like we all know, she has one robotic leg. At the beginning of the book, there's scenes where you can see her and her robotic leg. But then once they are on the mission, 
you don't see it anymore. There's no robotic leg. There's just the pants and her boot. And that bothers me a little bit. You know, it sh- it should. That's uh, that's disability erasure, and it absolutely is a problem. I'm sure with you know the complexities of a book, nobody is ever seeking to do any harm, and I'm sure this is one of those cases of the design somewhere along the line probably got muddled. One of the things I've noticed is a lot of times when I open these books uh, to reread them for a second or third time, Comixology will say to me, "There's an update to this book if you would like to download it." Frequently, when I download it, I can't find any differences and I have to assume it's patching the art the way that it will be patched for the trade collection down the line. So I'm going to keep an eye out and see if I notice Karma's leg situation getting rectified because it's actually really important. Also on the subject of artists that can make things look very two different ways, one of the most important things to come out of Marvel in the late 90s was David Mack's run on Daredevil which introduced Maya Lopez Echo. David Mack is best known for his painted covers, but if you want to see some wild ass shit, you need to read his early issues on Daredevil. I think it's 9 through 16, where he also does like full regular interior art, and it is shocking to see. Overall, I really liked what New Mutants number 9 did. I think the art was an interesting direction, and it gave us some really cool character moments. But I felt this was more of a love letter to longtime readers as opposed to something that newer fans can understand. There was a lot that I felt I was being left out on the joke and what was going on, and I felt like it was a little exclusionary. I don't know a lot of who these characters are. I don't know a lot of the character relationships that seem to be built and talked about throughout this book, and I don't know who the MLFs are. There was a lot going on that I really didn't understand, and I feel like I can't contribute that much to it if I don't have the necessary background to understanding what's going on. I overall thought it was fine. I just wish that there was more I can contribute to knowing what's going on. And I wonder if that's part of why New Mutants started with great sales, which have dipped under X-Forces at this point. Not to say that there's anything wrong with a book that serves as a love letter to a cultural zeitgeist that represents the emotional core of a readership's relation with a title. But hearing that somebody newer to the franchise feels left out by a title definitely makes me evaluate it a little bit differently. I can understand uh, Jonah's feelings about it, especially regarding the MLF. I, when I was reading reading New Mutants, it was before Marvel Unlimited had expanded the availability of issues, and so I pretty much stopped fairly early in the run. So at because of that, I didn't get to the point where New Mutants transitioned into X-Force and started interacting with the MLF, so I as well don't really understand these interactions. With the new Dawn of X era, the younger mutants, so basically anyone that's not a main X-Man, have all these new uniforms. Like when it comes to X-Men, there's eras that you can tell what era it is by their uniform. The original X-Men, New Mutants, Generation X, they all have their quirks with yellow and blue and yellow and red. And I just really, I kind of really love the new suits that a lot of the younger or newer characters have, like Danny and Amara and Armor and everyone, because they're very similar to each other, but they each have their own unique style. Like Danny has the skirt part that symbolizes Danny and her Native American heritage and her boots also. And then there's Boom Boom, who has the long jacket, but then like a midriff shirt. Armor kind of 
goes back and forth between a couple different ones because she looks a lot different in the third book that we'll be talking about today than she does in this title. And I don't know. It's just neat to me that we get to see these new era that like 20 or 30 years from now, if we were to see that, we would know, oh, that was from the Dawn of X era. Yeah, I think one of the major things about the X-Men is that the like the fashion of X-Men in so many ways is hugely representative of the era. And it's important to keep an eye on those things. The X-Men have often used their uniforms as a way to distinguish members of eras and teams. Almost like, nope, sorry, this is our frat and you have to go over there. The next book we're going to cover today is X-Men number eight. Swarm was the title. Jonathan Hickman was the writer. Mahmoud Asrar was the artist. Sonny Gao was the color artist. And the letterer was VC's Clayton Cow. Whether it was Gene and Baby Brew sharing time or Vulcan being, you know, Vulcan and the brood, there was like nothing not to love about this. Not sure what I think about the king egg, but I am so excited about this issue. I thought it was a lot of fun. And it was an exciting return to like adventure X-Men after what was an amazing downer issue. I agree. This issue for me was like one of the funnest issues of X-Men. I feel like with the X-Men title, the book keeps going up and down and up and down. Like I don't understand why we had our first or second issue just be a field trip of Scott with his two kids. It seemed pretty boring, but this issue, maybe it's just because I like the new mutants a lot and i actually do like brew i think that might be one tiny little creature that nico and i probably agree on this issue was just lots of fun kyle you had brought something up to me in our discussion that you felt sort of like while x-men has been an interesting ride you felt that it kind of lacks its own payoff yes uh the way i i look at it uh when i talk to some people about dawn of x there are some people who say that they're only reading x-men and when I look back at the stories that we've had in this series, pretty much each story is reliant on all of the other series in the Dawn of X. So if people are only reading this series, they're not really going to understand why all of these things are happening. It feels like each issue is a one-off that doesn't really have an overarching story. In that regard, I feel like it's sort of like when X-Men was running all of the those six-month eras over and over again, where it was like, divided we stand, utopia... And it was all of these sort of like banners that they would have for a few months and then drop the banner and do another one after a crossover. It kind of feels like Hickman is trying to play that trope on fast forward so that there's no point at which you're like, where are the new ideas? Exit number eight was a lot of fun. I really love seeing the brew. I love seeing magic be badass. I loved a lot of the action. There were some really great, cool moments going on here in Exit number eight. But my biggest overall problem with the X-Men title right now is that I'm really confused by all of these different plot points that are being introduced. You know, where are the humans that were working on the the mother mold? Where is the bitter old lady brigade? Where are, you know, those world leaders who tried to assassinate Charles, Apocalypse, and Magneto? It's... 
there are so many plot points being brought about X-Men 8, and it feels like we're jumping very quickly between all of them without them being resolved. Personally, from reading the past books over on 80s Mutant Mania and from the 70s and the 60s, while I don't normally want to compare how two people would interpret a media, something I did appreciate about Chris Claremont's writing is that it felt much more concise and clean in understanding the stories and the plot points. It would always it always seems to follow the formula of here's arc one in this beginning and it goes on for these three issues, and here's another arc that's two issues, and here's another arc that's only a single issue, and then the next arc would be something that's a callback from a previous issue thirty months ago or whatever. And that's how I kinda like it because it's a little bit easier for me to follow. Not that I'm not enjoying what Hickman is doing, I just wish it was tying up the stories that they're introducing. The X-Verse and the Marvelverse are really large, but I need, you know, resolutions to stories. Storm's got the Vault virus, the Brood are coming to Earth, Empire is taking place, the New Mutants are battling some sort of psychic monster, Apocalypse has got Excalibur jumping back and forth between realities every other day, X-Force is on the hunt for multiple terrorist organizations. It is starting to pile up on itself. I feel like if there was a strong, centralized timeline, we'd maybe be able to handle it a little easier. Like, I completely forgot that the New Mutants had stolen this case. I think that was during the licking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like, how did this not come up at all throughout the rest of that run? And then all of a sudden it's a thing. I think because Hickman left the title. <laughs> And just took the king egg with him back to X-Men. I liked the book. I liked the the visuals of the Akanti. You know, they're these giant space whales. And when you see the brood swarming them, it's so sad. <laughs> these poor space whales. <laughs> they're beautiful, majestic creatures, and they bond with Storm. Yeah. And, and we don't see Storm because obviously she's got other shit going on. But I did like the callback. I do think that Hickman, when he's pulling from all of these previous arcs and history from the X-Men, most of the time I think he's doing a really good job of pulling it into modernity and really giving us something new as well. I didn't think that this book had very much that was new. I loved the action scenes. I loved this page where Cyclops and Jean Grey are leaping into battle together. That's a familiar callback to you know, previous instances of them doing that, and I love seeing them in battle together. Cyclops using his optic blasts with magic's limbo disc was awesome. <laughs> Synergy! So there was a lot to like about this book, but I, I am getting a little antsy. I need to know what's going on with Seek and X-23 and Prodigy, and it feels like everybody's just kind of forgotten about that. <laughs> so hopefully that's going to be resolved with whatever is going on with Storm. And I'm interested in the information pages, we find out that Gladiator, Black Bolt, and Vulcan never actually died when we presumed that they did. So I'm trying to figure out if this Vulcan is the original or if they copied him too early. Ooh, that's oh. a really good question. And also, thank you for bringing up Gladiator because it gives me the opportunity to bring up my precious Prince Kubark. I love Kid Gladiator as much as I love Baby Brew. Yeah, it's basically me and Jonah, uh, like, running around, and Jonah's like, look what I did! And I'm like, yes, you did. Cable by Dugan. All right. Our last book this week is Cable Number 1, Big Guns. The writer was Jerry Duggan, the artist was Phil Noto, and the letterer was VC's Joe Sabino. I want to I give you this one, Regina. I want you to just... <laughs> I just want you to like, I want to like mire in it. Like I want to like soak 
in what you have juice fly. I, I never mind. All yours. <laughs> okay, so I am not the biggest fan of Kid Cable, but I love Duggan's work. I've loved almost every single thing he's done with the X line. So when we open this book, we see Baby Cable and Wolverine in the quarry, and the first, like the first line he's like is like "fuck you, Wolverine." And I was like, "Holy shit!" Um, this kid gets. It. <laughs> Like he reminds himself, my name is Nathan Spring Ascani Sun Summers. You can call me Babel. <laughs> Him and Wolverine are kind of going at it, and he kicks the shit out of Wolverine using his telekinesis, which was awesome. <laughs> um, the Silver Samurai is the guy that's actually overseeing the quarry, and then Wolverine kind of is like, "Well, shit, this fucking kid, you know, kicked my ass or whatever." <laughs> Then he tells him, you know, you cheated with that telekinesis. And Cable's like, there's no cheating in the quarry. And then they kind of make this joke about magic. So I now I really want to know, what did magic do? <laughs> well, we see on that awesome information page that whatever the fuck she did got her disqualified. Right. So I was like, oh, man, now I want to know. <laughs> I really enjoyed this book. I liked it a lot more than I was expecting. I love seeing Baby Cable kind of growing up a little bit and going out to help his fellow mutant friends and then at the very end of course we see big daddy cable <laughs> as we deserve as we deserve in all his muscle-bound glory i loved the art i loved the storyline i thought it was wonderful i really liked them finding this big ass sword stuck in this big leonine creature's paw it was pretty interesting so i'm really interested in what's going to happen in the future but i do see where this would be leading up to the x of swords event and I'm thrilled. I love that it's starting with Cable. You know, it's really kind of hard to imagine X-Men crossovers without Cable. It's kind of what he's good for. He's good at dying at the end of one and then coming back to start the next one. Having him here, it feels like the X-Men are kind of fixed. You know, they were a little bit broken and now they're kind of fixed. And I loved this issue. I love the sword. I loved Armor getting kind of pushy with Cable and Cable being kind of like, are we flirting? And Armor's kind of like, um, we're X-Men. Like, you just kind of <laughs> got to accept if you're an X-Man, you're probably going to bang every other X-Man at some point. It just, it just is, right? Top to bottom, great. It had humor. It had heart. It didn't hit any nails too hard on the head. Uh, I read Strange Academy, which I enjoyed, but I did feel some of the jokes were a little set up, punchline, set up, punchline. This felt like it had a really strong command of humor as well as adventure. Yeah. For me, I feel like this book was the first time since Kid Cable was introduced to us that we really got to get an understanding of who he is. Um, we see him being this abrasive kid towards Logan during their fight, but when he's on Arako looking for this other little kid, he's very, very kind. He's n nurturing and... It really gives you a idea that he's just not this one-sided character, and I love that. Before I go into my opinions of this overall issue, I want to quickly go over the matches that they gave because I love looking at the details and the flavor of establishing these things. I love little things like this. So the first obvious thing of note is Magic's disqualification. I want to know what she did to get disqualified. The other one is the only match that ended in a draw is Nightcrawler versus Blink, and I actually think that's a really fascinating fight to see these two people teleport all over the place. That just sounds super cool and interesting. 
that needs to be AOA Blink, or it can be New Exiles Blink, either one, but I don't want it to be Scrunchy Face Clarice. You need to calm down. Crunchy faced Clarice <laughs> is the real blink. I just don't want her. I want either other blink. And so in my heart, that was Nightcrawler training Exiles blink. Another one of note is that this one is for Dylan. Monet beat the crap out of Bishop. I really do like the idea that Monet just gave theoretically like her, her great grandson his first whooping. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention that. Kyle, there's rumors that Bishop is like the great-great-grandchild or grandchild of Monet. It's fine. We'll move on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Esme is trying to take her throne that nobody's going to give to her as the strongest cuckoo. <laughs> they all have a hard life, but some of them have a slightly harder life than others. Sorry, Irma. Yeah, maybe, that's, maybe that's why she was taking the leader role in uh, The Last Marauders. She's trying to overcome her name. Oh, you mean Esme. Esme. Mm. Because she asserted cuckoo dominance. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why Irma isn't going by Mindy anymore. Like, what happened to her name change? Because they wouldn't be the Spice Girls. Girl. Okay, but... <laughs> Nobody cares about the Spunkum Girls. Mindy was awesome when she went by Mindy and decided not to be a blonde, but whatever. Another one that was interesting is Dazzler versus Jubilee, which I don't feel is almost fair because I feel like Dazzler is super powerful. Jubilee's also way too powerful, oh, so no. I actually don't know how I feel about that one. More of where I'm coming from this stance is that Dazzler can use Jubilee's powers against her. You know, Jubilee throwing fireworks everywhere, Dazzler can just use that light against her. Plus they're in the middle of a freaking coliseum and all the cheering would give dazzler all uh, a huge boost in her own powers the one that really stands out to me as being the weirdest is wolfsbane versus pyro thank you yes this seems like pyro should really hold the upper hand i understand that he has a very exploitable weakness but his power is that he has to have fire to be able to control it but Something seems off about this. It's Pyro should have a distinct advantage over Rain. Unless she snipped his little flame tubies. I mean, Wolfsbane is a bit childlike these days, but Pyro is just an incredible goofball. I feel like he wouldn't even take it seriously, and like she would instantly already be in her wolf form and tackling him to the ground before he would even get done like looking at who was in the Coliseum cheering him or nobody would be cheering him on. He would be looking at everyone cheering rain on and he would be cussing them out. And then before he knew it, she's knocking them to the ground. That's how she won. And last quickly, Callisto fought three times in a row and she won. Well, yeah, but she won one against Jumbo Carnation. And is that even fair? No. <laughs> yeah. Turning into plastic is not a good mutant power. I'm assuming that she was challenged by Jumbo Carnation, not that she challenged him. One of my favorite pages in this book was Fauna looking at the beast through Pixie's dust and it looking like a giant Sesame Street character. Super cute and fun, really cool art direction. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. It was so yes. adorable. Overall, I really did like what the story was. I do have reservations. I'm not a psychic. I am not Destiny, and I will be allowed in Krakoa. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do 
see this trend and it's a, it's a cliche of somebody get, getting some artifact and it's like, oh, he's the chosen one, he's awakened and now we have awakened, we have to go find him. I've seen that a lot and my hope for this is that there is a refreshing, interesting twist to this story. Otherwise, it's just going to be boring to me. And I, I, yeah, if it gets over and over again into this sort of same repeated patterns, I don't think it's taking Cable further. And I would agree. It would wind up kind of static. I'm excited with where Dugan's been going, and I'm eager to see where he goes next. I'm a weirdo, and when it comes to Phil Noto's art, I go back and forth on whether I like it or not. But for this issue, I absolutely loved it. Um, I am a huge Hisako fan. I don't know if I'm just incredibly happy that she's been in a billion books so far in the Dawn of X or what, but her appearance in this book is completely different than it has been in any other book. But I love it. She, When it comes to Hisako, she's usually coded very masculine, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I am happy to see a Hisako that's very coded, very feminine. And because we've never seen that before, she's wearing a mini skirt and thigh high boots and uh, above the elbow gloves and her hair up and her flirting with Cable. I don't think Hisako has ever really flirted with anyone in her history of X books. I like Regina and not that much of a kid cable fan i kind of did not like the way he was introduced into x books i felt like it was just really cheesy but and then the x-force run that he was on was just like one of the worst x-force runs ever but this book and just the banter between him and logan and then his scenes with him and hisako I love Kid Cable, and I really kind of just want there to be a book called Cable that is just a buddy book of both Cables, because I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> I do love me Cable, so I would take I would take Triple Cable. Throw X-Man in there, but we'll never have let Age of X-Man happen. Very good, strong boy. It is wonderful. Hi, this is Dante Rodriguez from House of X, and my favorite book from the Dawn of X line is Marauders. But my favorite thing out of uh, all of the titles that's happening is the way that Emma Frost is being written. We're finally getting to see all the different facets of her. She's smart, she's calculating, but she's also caring and vulnerable, and she has a sense of humor. And uh, I'm, I'm so happy to finally see all of those parts of her really being showcased and showing the relationships that she does have with the other X characters. Overall, I think we can all agree that a lot of these books were just for setup, for the bigger things that are going to come. And that's okay, because I don't think any of these issues were necessarily bad. I think everyone was pretty happy with New Mutants starting to act a little more recognizable in their current day state. I think X-Men has some really cool space adventures coming up, and Cable might have an interesting story, as well as an interesting tie-in to this new Cross of Swords event that's coming. Kyle, what can we expect next week?
Coming out next week, we have Excalibur number nine, X-Force number nine, and the lead-in to, or one of the lead-ins to uh, the Empire crossover, Outlawed number one, which will have two covers. And one of those covers has X-23 on it, so keep an eye out. For trades, we actually have a Marvel Masterworks of a Dazzler, as well as a variant edition. Big shout out to Demanda Martini, one of the biggest Dazzler fans in the world. Uh, if you ever get a chance, you should definitely check out Demanda's Dazzler cosplay. It's amazing. It is amazing. And that is volume one of Dazzler. Uh in addition, we have X-Men Avengers Volume 1 Onslaught and X-Men Milestones Messiah Complex. Until next time, though, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantus82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that is called House of X that Regina helps me moderate. Or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Regina, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at the Red Queen underscore G. On Instagram at the Red Queen underscore on underscore IG. Or on Facebook at the House of Goblin Queen. Jonah, where can everybody find you? If you would like to see me online hunting a burger game with my father, Gladiator, you can reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. You guys can find me all over this network, whether it's on shows like HTML, where we're currently covering Star Wars, or all of the feeds of this show, where we cover things like the X-Men from the 80s, the Marvel Man series that gave birth to modern Captain Britain, as well as much more. You can also find me over on our internet portals at wearekrakoa.com and my comic book, Kid Riot, at kidriotcomics.com. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And until we return to look at some nines and an outlawed. What the fuck does that even mean? Until we're back to, I guess, well, that's a phrase now. Until we're back to nines and outlaws, we'll see ya. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Goodbye.